You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. One of the great ironies of, of the holiday season that I notice every year is that it, it tends to paint life the way we want it to be, or the way we think it is for others, like young couples that are buying GMC trucks at a whim and that kind of thing. But we see images that dot the landscape this time of year as well. We see images of neighborhoods that look just like mine. This is a picture of my neighborhood out my uh, front door. And obviously, we've all chipped in together. But you know how it works. You know, you, you start to decorate one tree, and then everybody tries to catch up. And we're all trying to get a glimpse of this fairy tale world. But it doesn't really lasts very long because eventually real life begins to creep back in. And real life for many is composed of grief and anxiety and loneliness and depression and anger. And it's heightened at this time of year because many are ashamed to feel that way. After all, we're celebrating Jesus, right? So we should all be positive and upbeat and joyful, joy to the world. But that's the irony. We're celebrating the one that we love, that we worship, that we've given our life to, because he has come to defeat sin while we grapple with sin itself. And that sin just seems to creep up during this time of year with all the anxiety and all of the busyness and so forth. And so as we celebrate Jesus, we have to remind ourselves that this is more than a story that we're talking about when we talk about Christ. And I want you to know this morning that you are saved and you are loved by an amazing Jesus. And this morning I want you to be able to see a a pathway to Christ that will either deepen your faith, will help you to fall more deeply in love with Him, will help you cope with the issues in your life, or that you might be saved forever and live with him because he is our high priest. And we're going to discover this morning as we explore Jesus during this Advent season that he was sinless and he had to be because sin could only be conquered by a sinless Christ. So take your Bibles if you would. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, which is near the back of your New Testament. And you can look at Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. If you want to grab a Bible in that seat back in front of you, it's on page 1003. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. 14 and 16 will give us context, and then we're going to zero in and look at verse 15 in depth this morning. Now, the book of Hebrews is an unusual book because we don't know who the author of the book is. The author refers to it as a book of exhortation in 1322. And many scholars believe that it's just one big, long sermon. And so we can call it a sermonic letter. But it's, it's a fascinating book. It's a, it's a book of deep theology. And its themes are, number one, to encourage believers to remain faithful. And that's pertinent to our lives. It is to understand that Jesus is above angels, that he's above the Mosaic law, he's above everything, and that is good to know. 
it helps us to endure persecution, but for our purposes today, it's, it's focused on salvation of the sinless one and of those that believe in him and his high priesthood over believers that will bring us hope. Because none of that could have happened without a sinless Christ. So let's explore how amazing this is. Look at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is our opportunity this morning to go deeper. And before we talk about the reasons that Jesus had to be sinless, let's establish the fact that he indeed was sinless. And so the first point I want to make this morning is that there is no biblical doubt at all regarding the sinlessness of Christ. And this is important because you're going to see more and more experts being paraded out on the History Channel and National Geographic talking about Jesus. They're going to talk about how he had affairs with Mary Magdalene and all this stuff. The Bible is adamant Jesus is sinless, and you're going to see why he has to be. When you look at the Bible, what really the Bible is, it's, it's a story of Jesus from cover to cover. The, the, the story of Jesus doesn't start in Bethlehem. It starts on the first page of the Bible and goes to the end of the Bible. And throughout the entire Bible, the sinlessness of Christ is featured. In Hebrews 7.26, this author calls him holy and innocent and unstained, separated from sinners. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, asserts that he knew no sin. The dying thief on the cross proclaimed that this man has done nothing wrong. And even the demons in Luke 4.34 recognize that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so we can know that Jesus is the sinless Savior, that He is without sin. And, it, and this is such a vital truth because it sets the stage for everything that happened during his incarnational ministry, his, his time on earth when he became the God-man and walked amongst us and accomplished that sacrificial death for sin. And so Jesus had to be sinless, and here's why. We need a sinless Christ to escape the ravages of sin. We need a sinless Christ. Listen, our story, our story of, of, of mankind is a story that has been largely wrecked by sin. It is a story that began so well, but rebellion caused it to fall into disrepair. And so our hearts have become darkened by sin. We are still image bearers of God, but the image has been scarred. And so that's why we look around and we see the effects of sin on our story, a world full of violence and, 
and sexual immorality and confusion and oppression and racism and divisiveness and then all of those things that come with the holiday season all of the anxiety and rushing and just the 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 bitterness of relationships and those things that just seem to be heightened this time of year and what happened is that Adam and Eve fell in the garden into sin they rebelled and and we inherited that sin. But not only we fell, but all of creation fell as well. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, beginning in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation has subjected, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." Which means we are waiting for the return of Christ to work within our story to put things back the way they should be. Because we live in, in devastation of sin. We want our story to have a happy ending. And that's what Jesus will do when he comes back. But we can't do it ourselves. We're, we're, our hearts are darkened. Our hearts are depraved. And so... We must look to the Savior. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this is where prosperity gospel preachers go wrong. This is where the, the spiritual help gurus go wrong. Because there is nothing inside of us that can reach God in an eternal sense because our hearts are darkened and depraved. And when you look at it that way, it seems kind of hopeless. And in a way it is, because we can't do it ourselves. And here's, here's my personal theory, so you can throw this out if you want, but I think one of the reasons that we react so strongly to Hallmark Christmas movies and that image I showed you, and we're, and we're all looking for that moment when we capture the Christmas moment, is because our hearts are yearning for the way things should be. Our hearts are yearning for peace and contentment the way it once was in the garden before sin came into the world. And you can have that, but you can only have that through Christ in a lasting sense. And so it's really, really important that Jesus came and was able to be sinless because he defeated this death knell of sin. He had to be sinless, and here's why. The sinless one became a spotless, sacrificial lamb, thus fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial system. In other words, he had to be sinless to do away with our sin. So the Old Testament sacrificial system was, was very necessary. And you, you needed to bring your animal, and you needed to on a regular basis, whether it be a bull or a goat or a bird, whatever you could afford, you'd take a perfect animal and you would bring it and you would 
have that animal slaughtered, and then your sins could be put aside. And I, I just think of it as sins being taken and put in, in a closet. They weren't done away with yet because the final atonement, the final sacrifice hadn't happened yet. And, and, and so Jesus had to be this spotless lamb so he could come and be the final sacrifice. We read about this in 1 Peter 17, 20. After, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so that last line is massively important because we see now that this sacrificial system that puts sins in a closet would then be answered by the final sacrifice of Messiah who would finally erase them, empty the closet, and destroy them. And so this is who Jesus is. And any other religious leader or guru, they're all pretenders because Jesus is the only one that has, has claimed to even be the one who died for his people for sin as a substitute. I mean, you look at Muhammad, the founder of Islam, and Joseph Smith, who who began Mormonism and, and the Dalai Lama, the Tibetan monk, they, they didn't claim to die for sin. They, 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 there's no claim of substitute sacrifice there. It's only the story of Jesus that matters. That's why we need to tell the world the story of Jesus. And they're not going to get it through just thinking rightly, somebody needs to tell them, somebody needs to come to them and say, like the lady on the phone, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have relationship with you, we're going to talk about the Bible, we're going to talk about God, and then one day it happens, because there was a relationship that was established, and the story was told. And so he alone is sinless, and it's a story that matters, because he had to die on a Roman cross, and he had to make final atonement for sin. So this is where now we bring it back from the Old Testament to the New Testament into our lives. And that is the sinless Christ atoned for sin on the cross. When we talk about atonement, I know that's, that's a word that sometimes it, it's hard to understand. Atone is simply this. It's being reconciled to God by making reparations for sin. By making payment for sin. It's being right with God that way. It's, it's kind of like, guys... I know this is a theoretical statement because the men in this room would never ever say anything to their wives that would get them angry or, or forget something or be a dope. You know, like sometimes other guys do that. And then what we do, pardon me, what the other men would do is go out and buy flowers or something, right? And you bring it and you give it to your wife and you go, I'm sorry, and you hope that that reparation is going to be enough to cover whatever dopey thing that you said or did or forgot about. But we don't ever have to wonder if this death of Christ covers that. And so do you see how this all works out? We have, we have a perfect garden. We have man falling into sin. The world goes south. 
A sacrificial system is instituted by God out of his mercy so that Old Testament believers, pre-Christ believers, could be right with God. They could put sins in a closet all along waiting for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to come and be that final sacrifice. But there's one action that took place every year that really helps us point directly to the sinless Savior, and that's called the Day of Atonement. And it was commanded to Israel in Leviticus 16. And this is what the law said. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And so again, here's how it worked. The, the, average, the average everyday Joe would, would be in the sacrificial system. You and I, we'd be making regular trips to the tabernacle or the temple, and we'd bring our our poor lamb or whatever bird is going to be slaughtered on that day. We did it over and over and over again so that we could be right with God. But once a year, the high priest of Israel would go into the temple or tabernacle and he'd go through all the layers and he'd enter the most holy place called the Holy of Holies and he'd pull that curtain back and what was waiting for him is the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat, the Bible calls it. So he would take the blood of a perfect animal, a perfect goat, and he would sprinkle it on that Ark of the Covenant or the mercy seat to atone for, to make reparations for all of Israel's sin for that year. And so that Ark of the Covenant, that mercy seat, was a type or a forecast of Christ because he would be the one that would give his own blood to make reparation for sin so that when you and I believe in him, our sins can be forgiven. But it wouldn't work if there was sin involved because that animal needed to be a perfect animal. Jesus had to be the spotless lamb. And so he could then die and it resulted in, here's a $75 word for you, it resulted in propitiation. And all that means is the satisfaction of God's wrath through a substitute. And this is why it was so vitally important that Jesus had to be 100% God and 100% man because his divinity kept him from sinning. His humanness allowed him to be our substitute. And Romans talks about that. Our first representative, Adam, not good. Fall into sin, bad representative, Adam was. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is the perfect representative who goes to the cross and makes reparations for us. That's the final atonement. And so this atonement is so vitally important. If you have no atonement, you have no Christianity. Believe it or not, in Christian circles, in mainline evangelical circles, the atonement is under attack. But, but, but what we hold to is, is this legal view of atonement that when Christ died, we were made legally right with God. And so those who believe in him never have to wonder, did I lose my faith? Did I do something today that would cost me heaven? Am I okay with God? No. You are legally justified. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you want to keep a current relationship with God? Yes. Do you want to please God? Yes. Do you want to make sure that you've confessed your sin? Of course. 
But this is so important. There's no other way to be freed from the depravity of sin but through Jesus Christ. That's so important. And that's why we hold to the sinless Son of God, the one who came in a manger and marched to the cross. And when one comes to believe, what the author is saying here is Jesus continues his work on our behalf. And so we can approach the high priest in an amazingly personal manner. You can be forgiven of sin and you can come near the high priest. And that's what I'm calling to you this morning. This is the amazing truth of the gospel that's made possible by the sinless nature of Christ. Look at 15 again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Well, the the author here is incredibly insightful because he knows what his readers are thinking. He's thinking that they are picturing a distant God, one who doesn't really relate to their own weaknesses, one that really doesn't know how to involve himself in our story. But what the, what the author is saying is that's not correct. There is a high priest, and he gets you, and he understands you, and he knows your pain. And he's been tempted by everything that you're tempted by. And he's lived in a world that was full of depravity. And he knows what that is like. And though his nature as God, having been born of a virgin, skipped man's depravity. And he did not sin. He knows what temptation is like because Satan threw the book at him. He lived with a bunch of disciples that I'm sure made him angry and disgusted. I know that the Pharisees ticked him off, but yet he remained sinless so he could be that final sacrifice. So he knows your story. He knows what it's like to walk in a human body, to be tempted by the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life but he's the only one that can put it back the way it should be. So I'm asking you this morning, won't you believe that he is your high priest? Won't you believe that he is the one who came and gave himself for you? Won't you believe that he is calling you to be nearer him and trust that he loves you and trust that he's forgiven you? And trust that he has a plan for you. And trust, as the Bible says, that he prays for you. So he's not some distant person that doesn't care. He's right there with you. And more importantly, if you don't know Jesus, won't you take this moment and give yourself to him just like the lady in New York who saw enough of the Bible to see that Jesus is real and that he's more than just a story and finally gave herself to him in belief by trusting that he is the son of God, that he died, and that through faith in him, her sins could be forgiven. Will you think about doing that this morning? Hebrews 7.25 tells us that therefore, he is able to completely save those who come to God through him. Completely save, not just one of your sins, not just one aspect of you, 
not just one part of your life, completely saved. Wipe sins completely away. Go into the closet, put sins in a dumpster, gone forever. That's what's offered you through the high priest, Jesus Christ. So I'm calling you this morning to believe. I'm calling you to be a Jesus follower. And it's hard in our culture because you're swimming upstream, but what a perfect time of year to examine who you are before Christ. And so this morning, I want you to take just a moment and I want you to close your eyes and to pray. And I want you to think about a pathway that's been carved for you to the high priest. Maybe for you, it's simply a belief that he does love you and that you can confess your sin to him. Maybe for you, it's a, a roadway to the high priest where you can, you, you can say, I, I can just be who I am. I don't have to wear a mask anymore. Or maybe for you, it's for the first time that you can say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I, I want in. I, I want to be in the family of God. Because we know biblically that you can only be saved from sin by a sinless Christ. So you take just a moment, close your eyes, pray. And listen, if you haven't prayed before, he likes real words. He likes so you say, I need help. I want to be yours. And then I'll close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.